Hello, I'm Pippa. And I'm Kate. Welcome to A Practical Guide to Death. This discussion episode shares a conversation between writer Mafaro Makabika and therapist Corin Harris. They're discussing Mafaro's play, Tears for Pounds. So if you haven't already listened to that, maybe pause this episode now and listen to that one first so you don't hear any spoilers. And if you've already heard Tears for Pounds, then we hope you find listening to this conversation interesting. Hi guys, uh, my name is Mufaro and I am a playwright. I wrote the piece uh, Tears for Pounds. Uh, today I will be chatting to the wonderful Corin. Hi Mufaro, yes. So I'm Corin. Um, I'm a counsellor and psychotherapist. So um, I've been very interested to um, hear the play Um and it'd be really good to talk to Mafaro about all sorts of things that have come up for me as a counsellor around what the play has brought up for me. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is that it's um, it, it matches very much my counselling role. It's been interesting to, to see it, hear it, um, and see how it correlates so closely to what I do. That's so fascinating that you sort of um, bring up that this character or this idea of the play the title and how the play is is almost like what you do as a profession um could you just explain a bit more about your profession what you do um uh, yeah. yeah just who you are a little bit more if you don't mind Not I think at it's all, fascinating. Not <laughs> uh so yeah so as a as a counselor um my job is to um support people through difficult periods of their life. Uh, So people come to counselling for all sorts of reasons. Uh, But interestingly, probably one of the main reasons that people come to counselling is is loss. Now that can be loss from bereavement, so that can be grief, loss. But that can be loss um, in lots of different ways too. So loss of relationship, um, loss of identity, uh, loss of, of, of a sense of self, um, and and it's almost like no matter who walks through the door and no matter what they think they're bringing, there's a dotted line to loss in some way. Mm. So what the play speaks to me very, very strongly about is obviously um, the, the loss of relationship, the loss of a partner. Um, and it talks about how the, the main character um is struggling with that loss mm. and the play itself matches what might be the first counseling session that he might have had if he decided to go to counseling i was going to say you talk about a uh, loss about how that is sort of a recurring theme in people's lives um mm. and it's and you underline it as loss I guess in our character, it's grief. Yes. Is it a, 
a particular type of loss? Or is it, how do you describe it? How do we sort of, I mean, as a counselor, I guess, is it, how, how yeah. do you look at grief when you are approached by it? And I guess for yeah. yourself as well, it would be interesting to find out. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of the client, there, there is a lot of work on grief counselling. There's a lot of talk about the stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And there is something around looking at that with a client who is who is grieved. But fundamentally, as a therapist, I take each client individually, and I will work with them individually on their grief because it's different for everyone. Mm. Um, and so it's really important to stay with the client mm. um, in their grief and try to support them based on whatever it is that comes up for them. Mm. So, for example, anger is a hard one for people to own okay. around grief. Um, and I think it's quite interesting in the play that mm. we we hear some of some of his his anger. He does say he does express it. Yeah, anger, doesn't he? yeah, yeah, which is great actually. Yeah, that's, that's I, I would have thought like as people, like I would have thought like if you suffered a loss, you'd be like you'd be railing against the world. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's me thinking that's like a feels yeah. like a, a, a natural sort of like you know. It depends where your anger is pointed. Okay, because. You can be angry with, you know, the doctor if they're involved, or you can be angry, um, you know, about somebody that may have caused an accident, or you could be angry about the um, the cancer or, or whatever. But often there's anger towards the actual person that you've lost mm. for leaving you. That's, and I think that's, that's probably the anger that I'm talking about that's mm. so hard to bring. Um, but it's a big part of it because you have been left mm. bereft from this person. And uh, often there is there is some anger there. Why did you leave me? How could you leave me? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I guess, you know, when you talk about anger and um, I guess it's manifestations, mm. uh, as a counsellor dealing with grief, I guess in our character, he sort of explicitly sort of says and he rips up a, a sort of a notebook in a symbolic gesture of anger, actually yeah. anger, I mean. Um, when you meet with people, um, how do you, is it cathartic for you to help them express that anger or how, how do you, what do you do with when you see that anger? How do you sort of, yeah, you know, yeah. Everything is aimed at trying to help the client connect with their feelings, whatever those feelings are. Okay. Um, so, so my job in the room is to um, bring the client to feeling as much as I can, because actually we often intellectualize it and mm. talk about what you're thinking rather than what you're feeling. Um, and, you know, the anger's not addressed at me. So I'm quite safe in the room, um, and I and I can try as far as I can to um, encourage the client to see it. So 
often it's reflecting. I can, I can see that you're really angry. Mm. Um, and sometimes they'll pull back and be a bit surprised. But it's about naming what they're showing. Mm. Because mm. sometimes we, we don't really know what we're showing, including sadness, including hurt. Hurt's the big one, actually. Anger often covers up hurt that's underneath that. Um, so, yeah, it's about helping people to connect with their feelings because we, we tend to, as, as humans, just intellectualise everything or keep it up in the head, keep it cerebral, but we, but we really need to connect with, but what, does that, what is that feeling? Ah, it's anger. I guess okay. it's also in, in the character, we have this scenario where there's two, two voices going on, I guess. That's sort yes. of the, the voice that. in his head and sort of the the world, the words he speaks. Yeah. I guess you as a cancer, you must, as you see this world's colliding yeah. in your in your clients <laughs> probably every day. And how do you sort of navigate that, those two worlds, I guess, because everyone is an internal monologue, I guess. And then you, whatever you say is whatever you, have, you haven't censored, I guess. You know yes. what I mean? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So how do you, I guess, releasing some of that internal dialogue is maybe part of your job, if I'm assuming. Yes. I don't know if I'm assuming. You're assuming how right. Do you, how do you try to get that voice that's there in the head and yeah. what's coming out to sort of get yeah. there? Absolutely. And I and I loved that about the play, actually, because that was another thing that made it feel like counselling. Because a big part of the job is to, again, help the client connect with that internal dialogue, internal narrative. Mm. Because actually, we've got that going on all of the time. And I don't think we readily recognise, because it's just what we do. <laughs> You know, it's we know we've got that voice inside. We know we're saying things to ourselves. And then you're right. We have to think, right, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say this out loud now. So mm, yeah. let me be careful about what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, so my job is to kind of help the client to know that, okay, you're here for counselling and we're having um, a conversation one-to-one. But I also want to hear that internal dialogue. Mm. I, I invite you to bring that into the room. But how hard is it, though? How to? I mean, I've, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of like I think about my character, and I feel like he says the, the first like hard stuff in his head. Like he doesn't want to mm. say it. He doesn't want to say the things yeah. that might be hurtful to the person who's probably passed, or things you might think are, are not right or are not pr- appropriate. Whatever you think is appropriate in grief. Mm. How do you? How do you f- tune them so that they can feel that comfort and that mm. ease to say it, you know, to say, yeah, I'm angry or I'm re- you know, I'm hurt, to say those things that are painful to say? Yeah. Um, again, when you're sitting alongside someone, it's almost like you're tracking them. Mm. And so even though, like I just said, you know, I can say, it sounds like you're really angry. And someone will stop and go, um, no, it sounds mm. like it. Mm. And then they they connect with their feeling. So that's another, that's another reason why the feeling stuff is important. Mm. Because actually, 
the internal dialogue is very much connected to what you're feeling mm. um, as well as what you're thinking. So it's about, well, one of the things I do with clients is tell them that, you know, this is, this is as much about the internal dialogue mm. that you have with yourself mm. as it is about your relationships with people. Mm. So from the get-go, I make sure that they understand that that internal dialogue is going to play a massively important part in the room because that's the, that's the bit that's going to be telling me what they're really feeling and thinking. Um, and sh- keeping that internal dialogue going inside just goes round and round and round and round and round. When a client starts to talk out loud in the room, and then I might say, oh, I noticed you said this. Mm. And then they kind of go, oh, yeah. It's almost like they hear themselves for the first time in the room because we speak out and it just goes away from our body and out into the ether. Mm. Um, and sometimes we're not hearing it, but it's almost like me as a counsellor, it throws that voice back at them so they can do it themselves. They can kind of hear for themselves as they're speaking out loud to me or I can reflect back to them what they've said. So often mm. I would just repeat what they've just said to me. It seems quite uh, an essential human need somehow in this process or, or even in counselling, whatever it, the loss is. It, it feels like the idea of mirroring and tracking and reflecting with another person mm-hmm. is important for some sort of breakthrough, it seems. So important, so important. I mean, you know, I when I heard this play and read the script, I thought, oh, my father has done therapy. But no, you haven't, have you? I haven't, no. I haven't. Yeah. And and the, the listening, mm. you know, the listening that takes place during this. Um, and, that, and that's what it's all about. That's the tracking, that's the reflecting, that's, a, you know, to be listened to and to be heard that's the important thing oh. to be heard. Um, is so important, and it's it's it, it's a human need. We it's a relational need to be heard, to be acknowledged, to be validated. Oh. When somebody gets you, and often we say that, don't we? I really like he really gets oh. me, or she really gets me, and it means a lot when you meet someone who you feel like understands you, and you yeah. don't have to use too many words. Yeah. Um, and that's what this is. That's what the essence of this is. It's if somebody really hears you and listens to you, um, it, 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 it makes, it makes a world of difference, doesn't it? It makes it, all the difference. Yeah. I, I, so I, I sort of like when I look at the piece, like I guess when I sort of conceived it, I, I, the idea of the professional mourner was my thing of meeting this grieving young man and this man trying to sort of explain where he is and what he's trying to figure out. I guess the play sort of revealed itself that it's about this grief-stricken man man sort of like opening up. In in mirroring, I am a young black man living in a, you know, this society. And like I said, I've never done therapy. And it feels frightening. Like even when I like, Look at the script. I'm like, 
he, for me, Nasha is a very brave person because he he's in a cafe with loads of people and he's opening himself up. How, I guess, from your experience, how do maybe people of color mm-hmm. approach you when they deal with these matters or do they approach you or is there a uniform way they they deal with it or is it always individual as everybody else? It's individual always. So that, so you come with, with, with what you need to bring. And if, again, if the person can listen and hear things from your point of view, and it's important when you're working with um, black clients to be aware of what the nuances around death might be. And you can work that out whether you're a black therapist or not. You know, I'm a black mm. therapist, so there's certain things that I will go straight to in mm. terms of Jamaican therapists, mm. uh, West Indian clients, sorry, as opposed to um, African clients, mm. because there's a difference there. There's a difference, there's a cultural difference. Absolutely. Now, I come from a West Indian background, so I could probably plug into the West Indian one quite quickly and understand, that, you know, what mm. goes on when somebody first dies. But I've learned you know, ah, so with your culture, it's different. And I will ask the question. Mm. I don't shy away from owning, you know, okay, so I don't know what that might be. What Tell me about that. What happens when somebody dies in your culture? How do family respond to that? What kind of support have you had? Um, and, and I'll also make sure that I'm really careful to... Um, listen to how they respond to what I'm asking because I'm having to pay a special attention to not missing nuances um, that might be there. Um, yeah. It's, it seems like your job is like, and I'm, I'm just in awe of you, it seems like this idea of, like, I think human beings are complex. <laughs> like, I guess that's why you, maybe I try to write plays because I'm trying to figure them out through characters, but they are complex. So you sit in front of all these complex people mm-hmm. and you try to do all these things to listen. And and like, like the word listeners, like it keeps coming up and I think it's a wonderful word and a wonderful thing you keep talking about listening and you even talked about the clients listening as well I always thought therapy was like me just rumbling on about like my problems or, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that but this idea of listening is just it's amazing I I, I just how how you fundamental to I guess Connection and healing is listening, I guess. It's a bit, it sounds like a, a, big, a big thing. Mm. It is. And um, at, at the end of the play, where the character says, I'll cry with you. Yeah. You know, that tells him that she's been paying attention. She's been listening. She's shared her experience of grief with him. Mm. And... And now she's saying, I'm going to sit alongside you and I will cry with you. You know, that's somebody that's been heard. Uh, yeah, because yeah. he's he's full of grief and he can't cry. 
can't you can't you can't let the tears go, isn't it? You can't, you can't, can't until like I I guess when I I talk about this character and like uh, being uh, I guess about listening and is, is it do you think it's easier for people of color maybe to come and talk to you and listen? Or and you listen to, to them. To me, as a black therapist, or yeah, to me yeah, as a therapy in general. Maybe as a black therapist, I'm not trying to make it. But it, do you think is there's a resonance there, or it doesn't really matter? It matters. It does matter. Okay. Um. Again, you know, it's so important to be able to see yourself reflected in what's around you. You know, actors talk about this. You know, mm. and so. Black people may or may not look for a therapist that looks like them. Mm. Um, and sometimes I will actually get inquiries where people say I'm I'm black and I would like a black therapist. Um, so sometimes it's very, very clear. Mm. But there's something about, you know, as I say, finding the right therapist is important. And there are all sorts of unconscious processes that go on in the room around um who who I am to my clients so sometimes it could be it doesn't work because for whatever reason there's something about how I am mm. that might be reminding them of somebody that they don't like mm. unconsciously Man. so we just don't click okay. because for them that keeps coming up and potentially if you think about it as a black person sitting across from a white therapist trying to talk about your experiences as a black person because we're, there are plenty of them, mm. you know, that this is a loaded thing to be black. Mm. It's a political yeah. thing to be black. Absolutely. So how, how do you do that with somebody when you're expressing things that maybe they don't have any knowledge or experience of, mm. may have a discomfort around? may not be able to go there with you because, you know, no matter how woke they might be mm-hmm. and how much they might have black friends and, and care about black issues, certain things that you will bring, they might not be able to connect with. And where does that leave you? Exactly. Where does that leave you? Because containment is important, you know, in, in, in some ways in the play, um, her presence uh, was containing him somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he, he broke out of that a few times and, you know, reacted and responded, there was something about her presence that kept him there. Why did mm-hmm. he stay? You know, he could have walked out. You know, he nearly did at the beginning. He nearly didn't he? did, didn't he? And but she, then I guess this comes to the idea that when we talk about, okay, about us, like maybe me as a, as a black man walking in maybe into an off into your office and seeing you and recognizing you a person of color and recognizing maybe that kin kinness or that whatever mm-hmm. connection you might want to say. But I guess the idea of a stranger, I guess, for your job, is that an important element that they see you as a stranger, even if they see yeah. the connection or like a like, I recognize you're a person of color, I'm a person of color, but yeah. that distance that you are a stranger, and I'm, is that yes. an important facet of your work? It's really important. 
um, you know, often people will come to therapy and they'll say, you know, I've talked to my friends, I've talked to my family. But the thing about talking to somebody that you know is that, well, A, they know you Mm. and they have a perception of you. And if you bring something that is outside of their awareness of their perception of you, they might not notice that difference or they might not be able to connect with it anyway. Equally, people that you know and your family tend to love you, so they can be very um, blinkered about Mm. protecting you. um, And they can also shut down from stuff that they don't want to hear about you. And it might be hard for you to say some things to them that you know will upset them about how Mm. you're feeling. Or their response shuts you down, you know. So they might hear it, but they might say, oh, don't be daft, don't be silly, you Mm -hmm. know, and give you... Whereas in therapy, I will listen to that and I will let that keep going. Mm. You know, I'll let them go as far as they need to go with that. That expression and that that understanding, that feeling. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess grief is, um, for me, I guess, as I explore this piece as a writer, it's one of those things like uh, coming from an African background where we have this thing where we have this elaborate, but they are very, dramatic funerals like really you know we we really do things like either a celebration or as a way of mourning and we have like sometimes when you turn up to a funeral we have uh, women who do like this sort of choreographed of a heightened sort of mourning this sort of rituals yeah. around death and mourning um mm-hmm. living in the western world I guess this is the question I'm trying to get to. So I'm going in a long roundabout way. No, that's fine. I'm loving this. Are they certain rituals of grief that binds us in the Western world? Maybe in this country, maybe. Or there isn't such thing. And if there isn't, is there a need for such thing? Ooh, um, I mean, I suppose the stages of grief that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. are significant. They bind us as people, yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, but I think, you know, I think it's important that people, if we had a better relationship with death, which is, you know, mm. the one mm. sure thing that's going to happen <laughs> to us all, you know, yeah. there's no getting away from this one. If we had a better relationship with that in terms of acknowledging it's going to happen and not preparing for it necessarily, mm. but kind of preparing for it. Right. It's you, know? you know what? You saying that is like, I, I, like, I think, I don't know if it's, it's me, but it feels like me getting older, I, I become more accepting of the fact that that will happen. Mm-hmm. Like a younger me would have been like, whoa, whoa, let's not talk about an impending yeah. dying or something of that situation because it 
it's a scary concept that you won't be here one day and people mm. move on without you. It's a yeah. And to accept that is scary, isn't it, for, for a lot of people? Absolutely. It is scary. And we say things like, you know, oh, you only live once, mm. you know, and we can throw away things like that. But there's something about if we did acknowledge it more, I think we would live better because we would cherish what we have more. Mm. You know, we would recognise this isn't going to... This isn't going to last forever. Mm. So let me be grateful. Let me enjoy every second of this. Yeah. And you know, we, you know, people who have had near death experiences, one of the constant things that comes out of that is them being more appreciative of life mm. when they've had that experience. Looking at my character officer, he, he hires a, a professional mourner sort of to help him at the funeral and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And now we talk about these funerals where you're not allowed to be there and family can't be for funerals. How do you, f- what do you think this sort of ritual, I guess, I mean, because this is what the character is sort of trying to confront in a sort of practical way, obviously, mm-hmm. but he's dealing with this emotional thing. How do you think these rituals we observe help us um, as people mm. navigate this period in our life, this difficult period in our life. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think about, I'm not an expert on all civilizations, but I, I mean, most civilizations around the world have some sort of funeral process, some sort of funeral rites they do. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this important, do you think? I, th- I think it's important to... Um, To I'm trying to think of the words I want to use, it, it's it's like having um, closure. That's it. Mm-hmm. Closure. We need closure um, with loss, uh, with grief. Mm. And I think that the funeral ceremony is a way of having closure, of having a sense of okay, that yes, they've gone, mm. and this ritual of burying them is confirming that um if we didn't have that if we didn't have something that said okay this is signaling Mm. that this person has now gone what happens how do you how do you know that Mm. how do you how do you make that mark inside to say yeah this is this is it Mm. and some people can't even make that even when the whole funeral has been done. happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess this is this is I guess we we talk about the ritual needing being a, a mark or an acknowledgement of of this event happening. I guess the question that always comes up, isn't it? As you, yes, we've talked about grief and what it is. Is how do you misdo it? <laughs> How do you get over it? And then the pain and the confusion. I know people talk time. I know therapy, and but mm. it feels epic. It feels like a, a real epic thing to happen to people to lose, yeah, to lose and to love and to lose. I guess mm. absolutely. Um, and it time. Mm. Um, and and being allowed to 
do it at your pace as well. That's important, I think. Mm. Um, Because often people around someone who has lost someone want them to get past it, (laughs) want them to feel better and, and, and might want to hurry that along, you know, and that's about their own discomfort of being around somebody who's grieving. Mm. But it's so important that somebody does that at their pace. And um, in the play, you know, he he's struggling with the fact that he's not crying. Um, and it's in the presence of someone else who invites him to have them sit alongside him in his tears that allows him to do that. Uh, yeah. Um, but there was no pressure from her for him to bring his tears. Um, you know, in therapy, there's no pressure from the therapist to to be anywhere other than where you are in that moment. Mm. But having somebody alongside you who who wants to just sit alongside you and be here with you as much as they can is so important. That helps you. That helps you to get past mm. um, the pain because mm. you're being allowed to express it fully. Mafara, I mean, I wanted to ask you a few questions mm. Um, mm. because, as I said, when I read the play, I immediately thought this person's had therapy. Mm. So when you told me that you hadn't, that mm. that really surprised me. I guess... I, I wanted to write about trying to connect, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah. Trying to, I don't even know if it's asked permission to grieve. I think it felt like, or maybe just, just, just it, it was a piece that I was trying to say, I get it, I get the grief, and... But I'm trying to connect. Do you know what I mean? Mm, uh, yeah. And that's what I wanted for the character. So, uh, and uh, and I don't want to make the character sound like I'm taking everyone's grief and putting it into the character. I'm just talking about grief that I've experienced and and I know and I understand. And and this sort of idea of a professional mourner, like I I I I, uh, I live here. I'm originally from Zimbabwe. Um, I have family here but it's not like a lot. So in essence, I'm in sort of in a bubble still. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yeah. In a bubble, within a bubble, I guess. And mm-hmm. and I just thought, well, there surely are the people like me out there. Yeah. This can't just be happening to me. So if you're living in this place, maybe which is probably alien or not, or where you're home still, but there's, differences and this thing happens to you and you lose how do you figure it out and I was like well I would probably call a professional mourner if I didn't have any people around me but Mm. and and I I was like well but why would I call a professional mourner so this sort of sent me on this journey to try to understand why I would call a stranger or pay a stranger some money which the character does. I'm not saying I'm the character, but I'm saying yes. then this drove to sort of trying to find out this character's journey. But and to find out these people existed meant there was a need for them. 
Mm. There was a need. There were people who were searching to talk to strangers, to get strangers to come to their funerals and cry with them and help them cry and learn details about their wives and their daughters and their friends they'd never met and sit with them and listen Mm. and do these things. And I, I found that, I find that transaction quite beautiful and quite, you know, there's something, you know, yeah, um, wonderful about it. Wonderfully human, yes. Yes. Um, about it. And, uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to explore, that that connection that can be found in two strangers bonding over one person's loss, do you know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Yeah. And how that helps that character to move on, I guess. Coming to therapy is exposing because people come and they bring their all of their vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, Even talking to you now, I feel, I feel, uh, yeah, not 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 in a. Oh, I I feel like I I can talk to you and I and I and I like you very much and I enjoy I I think I very feel very warm and and I, and, but. It, and I know some person is going to be sitting in in a room somewhere is going to be listening, and they'll be like, "Okay, mm-hmm. that boy had suffered grief." But even the idea that someone knows that I've suffered grief feels exposing, like I've been yeah. grief stricken. But then it shouldn't be because we all suffer grief. Absolutely. But still, that felt like even when I think about the play, I think, "Oh, people will think it's me," which is fine. Um, but is it fine? Hmm. I, I think sometimes an audience wants to associate the create the work of the creator with the creator. And I guess as I'm talking now, I'm talking about grief and I'm talking about all these things and losing and and um and so yeah, they they'll probably think it's me. And it's all right. Mm. It's all right because I think the play deals with something so fundamentally human that if I if it wasn't me, if I wasn't in there, then it would, wouldn't be a human play. It would be false. It would be mm. it wouldn't be right. Yeah. Um, you know. Mm. And and I was sort of trying to think about crying. I think there's a thing about crying in the end, about release of emotion and uh, and what that means for uh, for men, yeah, for men of color as well. Yes. Um. And that release, I guess, you know, and. And and a sort of understanding that in the character and how the character gets there, I guess. Uh, so mm-hmm. I wanted to explore all those sort of ideas and in myself and like, do I cry? You know, I was asking this questions yeah. to myself. I was right. I was like, oh, did I? Did I? I was like, oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've, like, look, yeah. looking at what, what what I was going through and what I was sort of trying to express, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I really loved the play. I I did want to um, express that. Thank because, you very much for saying. Um, 
it, it moved me. It really did move me. You know, like I never, I, actually, when you say that, it's quite, I never planned it to be a move. I just, it wasn't like I did, I wasn't going to go, oh, I want you to cry and I, I, or be moved or it felt like there was, something was being said. This has been a, a really wonderful discussion, Corin, and um, I learned a lot, uh, which wasn't part of the the object of the talk, but I learned a lot. And uh, the idea of talking and listening and all these things that are part of your work sort of maybe come into my work as well somehow mm-hmm. and, and reflected in this character. And... Uh, I just want to say thank you, first and foremost, for your time um, and for your insight, which is uh, wonderful. And uh, yeah, do you have anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I mean, I've I've really enjoyed this too. Um, it's been lovely being part of this um, and talking to you and listening to you. Um, I'll be watching out for you um, <laughs> and what you do I'm next. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that will come. Uh, but no, it's been great. And thank you for, you know, what you brought, all of your shares um, and your vulnerability um, when I started to ask you some questions. Um, mm. And I've enjoyed, you know, the process um, yeah. alongside you, Mafara. So thank you. We hope you found this conversation as absorbing as we did. Our thanks to everyone involved and our sound designer, Ian Armstrong, and editor, Fraser Youngson. This podcast is produced by She Wants a Dog, with support from our commissioning partner, Nottingham Playhouse and funder, Arts Council of England. Thank you. To find out more about the series and other She Wants a Dog series, follow us on social media at She Wants a Dog, or visit our website, shewantsadogpodcasts.com. Don't forget to listen to all five plays in the series and look out for other series from us, including Sick Babe, Exploring Life with Invisible Disabilities and The Perverts Podcast, a queer audio cabaret. And please do rate, subscribe and share if you enjoyed these and join us again for more extraordinary explorations into a subject that affects us all, death.